Welcome to the Blockdown Podcast, brought to you by EOK Digital, the number one blockchain PR and communications agency. Every week, we're sharing pearls of wisdom about the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency. Don't forget to subscribe and review our podcast so we can bring you even more great content. almost got me with my glasses. Next, we have another exciting panel called DeFi's Newest Wave. The moderator for this panel discovered the world of crypto by hunting for cybersecurity bounties and worked for several blockchain startups before turning to journalism, almost by chance. He's passionate about technology and business in equal measure and sees blockchain as a potential driver of deep social change. Let's welcome our moderator for this one, Cointelegraph uh, technology editor, Andre Shevchenko. The panel is all yours, sir. Hey, thank you for the introduction and welcome to this blockdown panel. Uh, I'm Andre Shevchenko, technology editor at Cointelegraph. And today I'm moderating a star panel of DeFi builders and experts from various projects to chat about uh, DeFi's newest waves and trends. So. Uh, uh, with us on the panel, we have uh, Ajit Tripathi, uh, Head of Institutional Business at Aave, Eric Chen, uh, CEO of Injective Protocol, Hyun Lee from Bee Harvest, and Anton Bukov, uh, co-founder of OneInch. So, hi all. Uh, thank glad to be here. Uh, glad to have you on, on the panel. Um, I think for the first question, I wanted to kind of set the stage a little bit and talk about where we are in DeFi right now before talking about the future. Uh, so I guess with the NFT hype of the last few months, I think I've definitely noticed a bit less of an attention devoted to DeFi, maybe not as much excitement as, maybe, as in the summer. So do you feel that's the case? And if so, why? Uh, I think we can start with Anton for this and then do the roundup. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Anton Bukov. I'm co-founder of One Inch Exchange. It's the DEX aggregator, uh, recently renamed to one inch network it's a network of different protocols uh yeah uh i i see like a huge difference between uh, uh cycle which happened in 2017 and the cycle which is happening right now in 2020 and 2021 <laughs> um the, the main difference for me is uh, that in 2017, a lot of projects uh, raised funds with just an idea. And comparing to this in 2020 and 2021, we see more and more projects that are raising funds, uh, starting on tokens when they already have something working. They have established project, they have some traction, or they have at least MVP, which is like proven that it's working. Yeah, that's what I like the most. And uh, I see it like one of the uh, biggest difference. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And uh, I think uh, this um, cycle specifically has been kind of marked by institutional adoption for the most part. Uh, so I guess I wanted to come back to you, Ajit, for uh, uh, this question. You as head of institutional development, how do you see uh, this kind of cycle of crypto and how DeFi plays a role in it. 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, DeFi since last January has obviously grown quite a lot, uh, but it's also becoming more mature in terms of, uh, you know, practices around security, around, uh, you know, essentially, I think people are being a lot more responsible in, in software development and in releasing code into production, which is kind of starting to build a general, generally a little bit more trust in the ecosystem. Now for the protocols that have been around, uh, right, and sort of have stayed secure and robust, uh, there is, uh, what's, what's changed is, is that the user profile has expanded quite a lot, right? So in the early days, it was uh, just us developers uh, then Ethereum crowd and uh, you know the Ethereum community, apes, degens, and so on. Then, then the then then crypto funds started to come in. Uh, I mean, crypto whales came in, crypto funds came in. Uh, what's changed now is that there are quite a few you know uh, family offices deploying money in in Aave. Uh, and the only way we know is because you know uh, they call us. Uh, so. Uh, so we get a, I get a message on LinkedIn and say, you know, how do we do this? And then it's more a matter of, you know, then doing support uh, and making sure that, you know, their user experience isn't, is, 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 uh, is seamless. The other thing we are seeing is institutions uh, are also get, getting more involved in governance, right? So, so uh, we're getting calls about, hey, how about we, you know, why is there this risk parameter like this, or how is the why is the interest rate curve built like this? We have a better idea, you know, because we managed credit risk for the last twenty years. So we get we're getting more benefit of the expertise as a community, you know, as a community, as the Avi community, we're getting the benefit of expertise from hedge funds and quants from the tradfi space. And uh, you know, a lot of these people are very very smart, and if they see an opportunity to to, you know, to opt optimize their capital and, and earn a yield, they, they actually find a way to do it. So, so what's, I mean, the institutions that are, you know, in sort of the education stage um, are the traditional banks, uh, you know, people managing uh, client money as opposed to uh, their own money, you know, because they have other legal obligations and constraints. What, one thing we have done as Aave is we've, uh, you know, built a lot of bridges into TradFi through custodians. Uh, and also, you know, the, the institutions that are bridging this uh, CFI to crypto, right? So, uh, and those are typically, you know, custodians serving institutions, prime brokers, uh, or, in, you know, OTC brokers and institutional. So they provide the rails to Bitcoin and the, the journey to Bitcoin was five years long. Uh, the journey from uh, Bitcoin to, to DeFi is, is remarkably short. Uh, so that's the good news. Uh, the, the, the other thing is, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time, so a lot of this uh, is, is about education and advocacy, you know, people fear what they don't understand. Once they understand what's going on with DeFi and how DeFi works and all the tremendous innovation that's happening uh, in, in DeFi, I think a lot of people in TradFi are you know, getting really excited and sort of be getting the benefit of the talent and expertise as a community. So, so, so it's the, so now the question is, where do we go from here, right? And then there is this other class of institutions which will need permission solutions, right? Where, you know, the, all the, everybody's KYC and so on and so forth. So that's another direction. Uh, I, I think we're gonna see the DeFi solutions that are not permissionless, but permission, right? But still decentralized, still governed by uh, a decentralized community uh, through decentralized, you know, uh, mechanisms like DAOs and and so on. So decentralization is continuing, uh, but uh, what's what we've started to see is, you know, more and more 
delivery of DeFi through custodial interfaces, through you know fintech, and and a lot of what I do and what we do is just you know education, advocacy, informing people about all the excitement and 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 the good news is you know thanks to all the work that bit has happened in the Bitcoin and Ethereum space. Uh, we, we we are very surprised often by you know uh, the the extent to which regulated institutions are already participating in DeFi in one form or the other and governance participation and governance is the you know because it doesn't involve money movement often is sort of has proven to be remarkably interesting for uh, institutions in sort of coming up the curve and learning. Yeah, that that's actually very interesting. It kind of uh, highlights this maybe conflict we have between you know the ideal of DeFi, which is about the average person the decentralization and then you know the institutions who uh, are really interested in getting into it right but they are not exactly it's a very interesting dynamic but DeFi is for everyone right i mean yeah. just like i mean coinbase provides access to bitcoin and uh, coinbase also provides access to DeFi, right uh, i mean crypto exchanges are also cfi to DeFi bridges are there i think uh, you know paypal is providing a bitcoin on its closed loop system uh, to users so so i think there is a path to getting there and our approach is to make sure no one is left behind and everyone can access now we deployed the polygon market yesterday you know two days ago which took out a lot of the gas fees so you know just make it accessible to everyone right so protocol is financial infrastructure for everyone yeah, uh, absolutely. So that's uh, actually a good uh, a good point about gas fees because obviously we all know how bad they've been getting in the past few months i mean i guess now they've come down a little bit but um, a lot of product uh, protocols are of course moving to other chains you know one main is going to um buying smart chain and others and uh, Aave as well uh, i want to talk to you hyung for uh, because you represent the cosmos ecosystem here and uh, obviously inter interoperability is a big point for cosmos so uh, what do you see kind of the hurdles uh, to having properly connected uh, ecosystems in DeFi and uh, what uh, are you doing to solve that essentially? Yeah, so uh, I'm Hyung from Beharvest and we were a Cosmos ecosystem contributor and uh, recently uh, Tendermint acquired a Beharvest team. So we are now focusing on developing financial applications for Cosmos ecosystem. So. Uh, Currently, we see a better uh, maturing and continued innovation on DeFi applications, especially uh, DeFi are not only in Ethereum, but also in many uh, POS networks, which are the ma mainstream of most uh, top market cap uh, coins. So uh, in this situation, we have a lot of network in uh, with uh, separated economies. So we want uh, users to enjoy multiple blockchain uh, applications uh, without uh, uh, agony to use a lot of tools and problems. So uh, we want to connect this kind of separated economies uh, so that uh, users can enjoy more connectivity. Uh, the problem can be uh, this kind of connectivity is not only about token transfer, so it can be multi-dimensional utility for uh, interchain uh, inter-blockchain communication. So we, in Cosmos, we call it IBC, which is a, a inter-blockchain communication protocol, but uh, in current version, it is only for token transfer. But uh, the, the standard technology 
uh, allows to improve, to have more sophisticated, more complex or uh, multi-dimensional utilities to connect other blockchains. So for example, we want to connect uh, liquidity from different uh, blockchains. Uh, such kind of thing is not about uh, token transfer, but more complex uh, use case. And this kind of thing will be our vision to make it through. Uh, that's very interesting, actually. And uh, do you have like timelines for uh, this kind of development? You know, having something beyond talking uh, token transfers, or is that still in the future for now? So uh, for the connected economy, uh, we are building more uh, bridges to Ethereum, uh, Binance, Polkadot, and other blockchains. And uh, all the Cosmos-based uh, blockchains are naturally connected each other. Uh, but we have to focus on, uh, first, we, we have to focus on building uh, very, uh, um, um, very important uh, DeFi uh, application first on the Cosmos Hub, so that all the connected economy can enjoy. And then uh, next year, we are going to uh, dig deeper on connected liquidity, which will provide uh, connected uh, liquidity uh, use case for users who can enjoy all the liquidity in different blockchains. Well, that's... <laughs> Hopefully that will come soon enough. Um, Eric, I wanted to uh, go to you and um, talk a little bit about what uh, Hyun actually mentioned, which was uh, building new DeFi projects, uh, new, new DeFi protocols as well. Uh, so your protocol, of course, is uh, mostly about uh, you know, derivatives trading, and it's kind of a part of this class of layer two protocols, right? Uh, which uh, is focused a lot on trading, on derivatives. So do you see kind of the next wave of DeFi being in this space specifically, or do you see maybe some other kind of primitive that could also uh, compete with uh, essentially this, uh, for the attention essentially? Um, yeah, so I think uh, just in general for derivatives, uh, it's definitely one of the stack within a DeFi uh, kind of money level that's very underdeveloped uh, at the moment. And even for synthetic assets, uh, the collateralization ratio makes it kind of unappealing for most of the traders to really engage and uh, gain exposure. So uh, in terms of objective, we kind of took like a infrastructure first approach. We kind of build on top of Cosmos, uh, changes sig uh, signature key derivation to Ethereum compatible, um, you know, added the Ether, uh, EVM layer, um, you know, and built uh, as a fork of uh, Ethermint to really kind of speed up the development process on that front. And also, you know, the decentralized bridge from uh, any type of like Cosmos slash IBC compatible chain to uh, Ethereum. So we've done a lot in terms of building up this infrastructure to create this kind of like a self-involving um, exchange focused ecosystem. Um, and uh, basically derivative is almost like a cherry on top for us in a sense. Um, so I think, you know, like basically overall um, in order for us to really kind of gain adoption for anything derivative related, um, so first of all, you obviously need a high performing chain to really support the transfer and margining and uh, all the surrounding infrastructure like that, and which is exactly what we did in uh, different injective. Um, and then from that point, um, really derivative, it's kind of like a tool that's building on top of this uh, uh, ecosystem focused chain uh, um, that, you know, like uh, uh, serves as a primary uh, value driver for the overall architecture. Um, so I would say, you know, like 
uh, within a DeFi space, especially now that there's a lot of consolidation within the lending stablecoin um, and exchange uh, ecosystem, really what you have to uh, look into is um, kind of how to uh, how to mitigate some of the current issues on Ethereum, for example, extremely high gas, um, you know, the current AMM uh, infrastructure, um, it, it's it's working out pretty well, but there, there could be some uh, improvements on that as well. Um, you know, like the general uh, roll-up uh, Lonely Island issue, uh, you know, amongst all the roll-up infrastructures, um, kind of like the composability and atomic transaction between to and from Ethereum. So, um, yeah, so, so I think generally, you know, um, it's more about uh, infrastructure, building that, uh, serving the needs of the user, and then, you know, uh, having that uh, value delivered to the user in the most uh, seamless user experience, because we all know that, you know, there is a need for DeFi, there is a need for derivatives, there is a need for uh, any type of infrastructure along with it. Um, and, you know, with the current regulatory environment, uh, this need is becoming more and more permanent. Um, and we do see a lot of, you know, demands from uh, institutions and retails alike to trying to gain access to decentralized services. Um, so I would say that, you know, like it's all about building up that infrastructure to make sure that you can support that demand uh, first. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a lot of the, you listed very well, like the challenges that kind of await us, I guess. Um, and uh, Anton, I wanted to uh, focus on a little bit another aspect of DeFi almost that's kind of fallen under the radar lately. But um, what do you think are the kind of maybe real world uses that uh, DeFi could potentially soon have, you know, if we step away from the trading aspect of it all for a little bit? Yeah, <clears throat> I believe one of the most important things in DeFi, which uh, uh, separates it, it from centralized finance, is composability. Is that someone, anyone, can build any new products on top of existing products and can like uh, build some new, build some composition, and. Uh, what we saw uh, in uh, this cycle, new new products appeared co comparing to what happened like a few years ago. For example, money market protocols, ACA, uh, lending protocols like Compound, Aave, and uh, some others. We saw that derivatives projects appeared and uh, some of them are already functioning uh, like Opium Network and uh, some others. There's like a number of projects related to this most of them are like somehow related to trading <laughs> because uh, uh, blockchains uh, as i believe it's like a missing piece in a money ecosystem like money should work on something like blockchain but somehow blockchain was invented um, after digital money represented to people and that's how everything should work. That's why most of the services in decentralized finance, they are about finance. It's about money, derivatives, about assets, about, about value. And uh, yeah, lending protocols uh, where you can, can uh, use some tokens as collaterals and borrow another tokens, they could be effectively used for leveraging. You can, for example, put your ether into protocol, borrow some uh, stable tokens, convert the stable tokens to ether again and put it back to borrow more. You can effectively uh, spin up your short or long position among uh, any pair of tokens like 
long ever to USDC, short uh, ever to die. And uh, it's mostly about assets, uh, about managing assets, about hedging some positions, about trading. Uh, but there are like few projects which are non, uh, non-related to money. They could be like related to ownership, for example, fr- fractional ownership project, for example, a, a real token. They don't have own token. It's like a real token, a real project. Uh, they have a, a US-based uh, property, real estate property ownership based on blockchain so you can buy their tokens of their houses so i like this project uh, because they like a pure blockchain project which do not requires any tokenomics and they survive at all this bearish market it was pretty cool and uh, how it works it's just genius Uh, they buy uh, some houses and they sell these houses as tokens on the blockchain then they just convert all, all this uh, collected money to fiat and buy new houses. And uh, uh, they forward all the rental payments to token owners. So you, you can buy one 1,000th part of some house in uh, USA and you will get your 1,000th part sh- sh- share of uh, revenue. And uh, they're giving uh, nearly to 10 or even 11 annual percentages but uh, it's like su- super stable thing uh it's it's huge apy actually for something stable as uh, real estate and uh, people can just uh, people can't afford to buy huge house in usa like 50k it's like super huge price for most of the users but they can buy as little as 50 bucks share, 100 bucks share, and earn this uh, huge APY. So some projects, they make huge APYs uh, more affordable to people by uh, making this opportunity be uh, fractioned, by, by tokenizing this asset. Yeah, that's uh, also a very interesting concept, you know, real estate for tokenization is one of those you know concepts that existed since the dawn of blockchain almost um ajit i wanted to actually uh, go yeah sorry yeah so i just wanted to step in but what's your question uh, please ask uh yeah just uh like i think it makes no sense because uh, Ave is doing a few like new features like you know credit delegations that are kind of trying to get past this um issue of uh, being over collateralized on chain uh, but obviously, it always requires some sort of intermediary that is kind of like in a in the case of the real estate tokenization thing, it's just a com- like a company, a project that's buying the high out of the houses, uh, right? So, yeah. how do you see this issue? So, so a couple of things, right? First of all, uh, most assets in the world are non fungible. Most assets in in finance are also non fungible. If you look at you know, public equities, uh, then they are fungible. Uh, you know, money is often fungible, not necessarily. But, uh, you know, bonds, private equity, uh, anything that's a that's a bespoke OTC contract with its own bespoke terms and conditions and, you know, collateral procedures and so on is typically non-fungible, right? So NFTs have a, have a lot to add to DeFi. 
Uh, now the, 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 there are a few, and, and the reason I'm, uh, I'm such a big uh, fan of uh, bringing NFTs into DeFi is because, you know, uh, what we're seeing with, uh, with art and music is this idea of off-chain assets, right? So just like a house is an off-chain asset with its own system of record, land registry, whatnot. Uh, I mean, a, a piece of digital art like Beeple's painting is also an off-chain asset. It's digital, but it was it's not natively minted or created on the blockchain like Bitcoin, right? It's created off-chain and then you kind of uh, link it to a blockchain and digitally sign and, and create an NFT that has metadata that maps to a file and so on and so forth. So, so what this whole experimentation around NFTs and bringing valuable digital artworks and music and whatnot uh, as assets into DeFi does, it, it sort of prepares the ground for you know bringing more sophisticated financial instruments which are actually non-fungible. Now you already see you know Uniswap doing experimentation with the I mean V3 with LP tokens as NFTs. Uh, so we will see more and more of that type of stuff with you know debt instruments uh, and risk tranching from Bandbridge and the likes. Uh, so so NFTs are I think still are going to play a much bigger role. Now the challenge around NFTs is you know liquidity. Uh, the oracle problem around pricing how do you actually price a relic i mean there are liquid nfts and there are illiquid nfts right illiquid instruments pose a, a significant problem in in DeFi, uh, and then there are legal issues around you know property rights which is if you liquidate a, a token that represents a house uh, then you know what does that mean in the real world the house is now belongs to the liquidator i mean does it really so, you know, and it's the same thing with digital artwork, right? So how do you liquidate something and therefore recapitalize the pool? Now, on the under-collateralization and, uh, you know, uh, uncollateralization side, uh, uh, so the, uh, finance is not new. I mean, um, apart from flash loans and a couple of, you know, major innovations that are only possible on chain, the finance is not fundamentally changing, right? It's becoming more automated, more efficient, more transparent with DeFi. Uh, but the risk still is risk. Information is still information, and info, the, the availability and quality of data and information has a huge impact on how risk is managed or not. So, so with NFTs and you know digital artworks, I think what's going to be interesting is you know what sort of haircuts do you take on these to essentially you know uh, to make sure the solvency of uh, certain protocols is maintained. Uh, then, how do you sort of create oracles for NFTs? Uh, you know, which are largely reliable and don't get into the same sort of issues as, uh, as, as the, you know, the housing market during the U.S. financial crisis, where nobody really knows what a house is worth. Uh, so, 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 so there is, there is, there is a lot of opportunity for innovation, and, and which is far more interesting, you know, than so. So far, we've only scratched the tip of the iceberg with fungibles, right? So, as as Naval said, uh, fungibility is rare, and non fungibility is everywhere. Right, so so I think uh, with, with with the first, uh, so uh, so when when you th think about so that's the non fungibility aspect, right? That's going to be everywhere in DeFi. It's a matter of time. Now uh, on the on the second part, which is around you know under collateralization, credit mitigation. As I was saying, risk is not new. Collateral is one type of credit credit mitigation. The other things are you know the, do you have any legal recourse? Uh, is there a sense of identity and reputation? So credit risk, you know, credit ratings are reputation systems. Reputation systems are notoriously hard. Uh, Vinay Gupta has written about it uh, extensively. And especially when you have pseudonymity with, you know, uh, Ethereum addresses as opposed to real world identities, um, how do you essentially implement recourse, right? How do you create a master agreement that governs the behavior of all participants? So with credit delegation, the idea was, you know, that uh, anybody can, uh, 
tokenize their uh, deposit position and then essentially use that you know uh, on, in the real world to 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 do off chain or on chain credit transfer right so so you get a credit line from the from Aave and then you use that off chain but uh, but then that's a way of delegating you know credit risk management to to the to the to the person who is doing uh, getting the credit line now in a protocol sense to really do you know under collateralized or un uncollateralized lending uh, through a, through this type of a pool i think uh, you need a reputation system right and uh, so whitelisting and blacklisting addresses and and then you typically need a recourse mechanism which is you know how do you essentially uh, if somebody runs away with uh, with their borrowing uh, and defaults, then how do you sort of, you know, uh, recapitalize uh, that position and how do you sort of get the money back? And that's not a, that's not a DeFi thing. Uh, you know, that's not a technology problem. That's an information problem, right? So, so I think uh, the, the, the data around identity, reputation and recourse is where, where I think finally we will start to go from. Now in an institutional market, that's far more interesting. Once the identities of all the participants in a lending pool are known, right? And they are participating in a, a through a master agreement and the right legal terms and conditions. Then recourse is eminently possible. Now, in a in a purely permissionless context where the identities are not known, it's really really hard to build under collateralization. With but but then that's a matter of building a reputation system, right? And uh, and then risk transfer mechanisms where let's say stakers can do uh, you know risk sharing and say okay yeah we you know yeah sure we understand that there is a uh, there is a chance of, and then also credit limits, right? So some of these techniques from, from TradFi, as we call them, will start to come into DeFi more and more and risk tranching with Barnbridge is already there, right? And we will see credit ratings come in, uh, reputations around Ethereum addresses come in, then share, risk sharing, and then, you know, initially giving people uh, un small under collateralized loans and then uh, or people as in addresses and then allowing credit extensions over a period of time. So this is a massive space of innovation, but it's also incredibly <laughs> incredibly challenging to do anything real world related. So NFTs in the form of art and all these digital files open a, open a door to you know, innovation at a far lower legal risk, uh, but by building the infrastructure that can then be, uh, be used for real world assets as well. So I'm really excited about NFTs in DeFi. Yeah, it's uh, very true, actually. I guess uh, it kind of depends on what you define by NFTs, because uh, on the one hand, you have all the art and the digital stuff, and then, but then you have just like the technological concept of the NFT, which is uh, much wider. Kyunga, um, uh, I wanted to ask you, do you have like any strong opinions on NFTs? Do you think that uh, they are necessary in DeFi, like uh, Ajit? So uh, in our Cosmos ecosystem, we also have an uh, effort to build a standard NFT protocol so that um, many uh, different blockchains can communicate each other for the NFT uh, technology. So I think standardization is very important in this multi-blockchain space. So we are focusing on that. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, that is a very important uh, thing to achieve in uh, five years time frame uh, from now. Yeah, I think uh, there is a very interesting question of interoperability with NFTs. So if you know there is one NFT on one blockchain, how do you effectively transfer it to the other? And uh, or just situations where maybe another blockchain is forked 
and all the NFT records are copied and which one is the real NFT? What do you think of this issue? How can it be solved essentially? Yes, so uh, the IBC uh, used to uh, solve this uh, problem by storing all the routes of the tokens uh, traveled uh, through different blockchains. So we can uh, prove the uh, route of the tokens uh, traveling at different blockchains. Then we can have the original chain uh, where the travel starts. So all the uh, travel can be uh, verified. So this can uh, provide us how to uh, differentiate the real tokens and fake tokens because all the fake tokens will have wrong roots. Uh, so this is how we uh, define the real token in IBC. So, uh, so in, in IBC case, uh, uh, tokens, uh, from A to C to B is different from token A to D to B. So, so all the roots uh, are differentiate the tokens. Yeah, that's very interesting, actually. I'm glad that it got solved. Um, Erica, uh, I wanted to like to touch with you as well with NFTs a little bit, but uh, mostly in the context of, uh, I think, it, just to expand a little bit, um, mass adoption, you know, of DeFi, of uh, crypto in general. And I think it's safe to say that obviously NFTs are kind of getting more popular, you know, celebrities are doing them. Uh, but do you think like this kind of attention is what's going to lead to mainstream adoption for DeFi as well? Or uh, you think it's going to be something else entirely? Um, uh, so for, I'm guessing for NFT space, um, you know, like attention is the money. So definitely, you know, like uh, all the celebrity adoption, all the, uh, everyone trying to capitalize on the recent trend, um, that's certainly um, kind of a real adoption for uh, the, the generating NFT subsector. But I'm not 100% sure within the context of the greater D5, that's, uh, that's any way uh, directly related, unless there are, you know, uh, on financialization of those uh, NFTs or even like, uh, um, you know, um, uh, adoption of like 1155 or 1178A or uh, any type of like uh, uh, multi-class uh, fungible token to make it, you know, uh, backward composable between the NFTs and ERC-20 to make it into a more liquid um, kind of like a capitalizable uh, uh, asset in a sense. So um, I would say that, you know, DeFi would have to move in parallel almost uh, compared to the NFT hype, um, but definitely the greater attention around crypto itself and especially, you know, with NFT people starting using Ethereum more, um, people are starting to buy ether to you know try out and paying for gas. Um, I think that's the biggest uh, shining point around that. So um, that that would be that's just in general extremely interesting. Um, seeing you know everyone started being more more and more crypto native. Um, so I think it, it is a very nice you know um, kind of like a, a user onboarding process for a greater crypto ecosystem. But in terms of directly accruing value back to DeFi. Um, it, so far, right now, it's not immediately apparent. Yeah, that's uh, very true, I guess, um, for now. Like, it's always going to be in the long term, if anything. Uh, but so for you, in terms of, you know, what's kind of the future evolution, the thing that's going to onboard the, uh, the masses, um, do you think maybe synthetic assets, uh, since, you know, it's something that is kind of related to, it could have mass appeal, essentially, you know, considering 
uh, Wall Street bets and all these platforms for uh, stock investment. Um, do you see kind of crypto taking over and DeFi in general taking over that side of the market? Or do you expect it to be forever parallel with uh, traditional markets in this case? Um, so, so I think it's generally very hard for us to take over the user within the same sector. Um, so for example, like if you're trying to go for like US stocks, um, you can't really bring over, you know, um, uh, all the uh, all the users who are already onboarded with uh, Robinhood, who are already onboarded with, you know, Webull or, or whatever stock trading broker, um, you know, maybe even traditional brokers like IBKR. Um, so those are not those are not the user you want to go for because they have uh, set up so, so much commitment to using the app, uh, locking up their capital, withdrawing them, you know, sacrificing the liquidity for seven days, uh, even just to withdraw. Um, really, the user you're going for is um, or are. Um, um, people who are turned away by these services, like for example, anyone outside of the U.S. Uh, trying to gain exposure to U.S. stocks, um, you know, um, and even more importantly, um, um, you know, a lot of people forgetting is that you know there are a lot of uh, foreign equity stocks that a lot of people want to gain exposure to or even speculate on, but due to capital control, due to local regulation, or due to a lot of barriers, you can't really gain access to those. So I think that's really uh, where you know we should really uh, innovate on um, is not to you know. Um, be the direct competitor to all these services because uh, it's such a slow process. People would have to double on board in a sense, um, but rather to um, kind of serve those who are turned away um, and, you know, uh, create these platform that's truly borderless and uh, create this um, uh, avenue for people to, you know, um, um, kind of be like a autonomous, like self-evolving um, ecosystem where if people create market. If it works, you know, more, more and more people use it. They're incentivized by it. Um, and, you know, like slowly and slowly over time, these communities uh, find out the product market fit or market market fit for us um, for, you know, like what are the best synthetic asset or what are the best synthetic futures market uh, to create uh, in order to, you know, um, uh, both benefit themselves and the greater ecosystem. But, you know, in my opinion, uh, definitely the, uh, uh, the, the biggest demand that we're, that we're going to see are, you know, users who no longer have access or who are turned away by, you know, uh, regulation or, you know, service uh, flaws um, and are, you know, desperate to gain exposure to a lot of things. Um, you know, that, that is, you know, where DeFi is going to come in. That is where, you know, um, synthetic assets is going to really shine. Yeah, I can definitely second that uh, thing about uh, exposure to U.S. stocks from outside the U.S. I've tried it. It was basically impossible. Like, <laughs> And uh, there are like maybe European brokers, but they were like geared for traders. So they had a gigantic fees. Um, so we're almost coming up on time. I wanted to maybe touch with Anton for, uh, for one last time. And ask you what is kind of your vision for one inch specifically you know the aggregation of liquidity of uh, exchanges uh, how do you see it evolving in the future uh, do you expect that we'll all use some sort of aggregator in the future thank you for the question uh, actually uh, if we would talk about future of one inch uh, it will be also interesting to remember how it all started because uh, we started uh, with my co-founder, Sergey Kunz, we started uh, this project on uh, ETH New York Hackathon in May of 2019. And uh, right on the Hackathon in 48 hours, we built very first prototype with uh, aggregation on top of uh, three different DEXs. Uh, I remember it was Uniswap, uh, Bancor, and Kyber. And uh, 
very very first version built on the hackathon was able to split user volume among these dexes to improve price because the more you swap on each dex the worse is the price so splitting among the dexes would improve your prices and also taking gas costs into account uh it's also matter because so if you, if you swap huge amount uh it's matter uh, higher liquidity for this swap but if you swap small amount gas costs really matters much more and uh, uh since the time when we started right now we have more than 49 uh, dexes integrated in Ethereum mainnet and more than 12 DEXs uh, integrated in uh, Binance Smart Chain. Uh, and we changed our algorithm dramatically. Uh, right now, you could imagine this uh, problem uh, of finding the best uh, price as a graph where nodes are different assets, different tokens, and uh, edges of this graph they are effectively different DEXs, different uh, pools, like um, Uniswap, Balancer pools, everything. And uh, th this problem is about finding the best multi-road from one node to another node, also taking gas costs into, into account. For example, if you swap huge amount of Ether to some stable token like USDC, you could swap some part of the amount directly some part could be swapped to DAI and to usdt and then swap to usdc finally with some uh, dexes which are very efficient for stable token swaps like curve.finance and uh, yeah what we have right now it's a uh, aggregation protocol in one inch network which uh, works and build uh, really cool uh, roads and you can see them if you would put huge amount of ether or die uh, into the input box uh, in interface because when you swap for example a few hundred bucks it makes no sense to distribute your volume among many dexes because you would spend all, all your money onto uh, gas onto gas yeah so but if you would try to swap hundreds uh, of thousands, tens of thousands, or even millions of bucks, distribution could be pretty cool. It would uh, include tens of different DEXs and provide best liquidity on the market. So, uh, and what we saw, what, what we noticed uh, when we like became alive and projects started uh, getting traction, that uh, multiple times during these two years, we met exponential scale. I, I call it like this because we had situation where in last month we had half of total volume of, of the project since beginning. So first time it, th this happened in December of 2019, in January, then this repeated in the middle of 2020. And last time I saw it in January of 2021, like three months ago, we had six billions volume in January, with total volume of 15 billion, it's like almost half. Uh, it's insane when, when you see th this kind of uh, traction, this kind of exponential scale, because each time we met it uh, in, in the past, we uh, were told like, no way, this could not happen again. <laughs> it's it's uh, incredibly cool, especially when we see that um, transaction capacity of Ethereum is uh, limited 
we, we see like exponential growth of volumes of users, but on, on the limited uh, transaction capacity, gas capacity on Ethereum network, it's pretty insane. So yeah, uh, I agree with uh, other speakers that right now gas uh, costs, all these transaction costs, it's like the, the hugest pain which stopping DeFi from real uh, exponential explosion. That's why we deployed, you know, Polygon market two days ago, and it's already grown to half a billion. Uh, so there is clearly demand for, you know, more gas efficient solutions uh, in DeFi. And as I think, you know, uh, Matic becomes uh, more popular and layer two solutions come online and prove themselves, you know, ZKSync, Optimism, Arbitrium, and so on. I, I think we'll see DeFi you know, expand quite organically, grow quite organically uh, to, I mean, 10, 20x easily. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think that's all coming up in the next, just the next few months, really, like that's going to be the key for the summer. This is the second DeFi summer, right? So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's time, but uh, let's see if uh, our hosts kick us out. <laughs> You are correct, Andre. I'm sorry, I don't want to cut the, cut you guys off, but we are running quite a bit behind already. But awesome panel, great moderation, and, and great panel. Uh, appreciate you guys very, very much. Um, really cool to hear about the story about One Inch, you know, um, about how they were part of a hackathon. And so, uh, yeah, what a tremendous name that project is, too. <laughs>